when you launch your business, first thing you do need to do is find customers. And there are so many people who want you to spend money with them to find those customers. They want you to do Facebook ads. They want you to do Google ads. They want you to spend money to find the customers. But does it really take money to make money? Does it really cost money every time you want to get a customer? Or is there a way we can start for free? The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Today's podcast episode is 10 ways to market your business without spending any money for free. And to help me with today's episode, I have one of the cheapest men I know, Simon Payne. <laughs> yes. Thank you for such a lovely introduction. <laughs> It's meant as an absolute compliment. I am from a frugal FI world. It's meant as a complete oh, a, compliment. Oh, yes. All right, then. All right, I'll take it then. <laughs> well, actually, there is a difference between being frugal and being tight. And you are definitely not tight, but you don't spend money where you don't need to. And I think that's what I actually meant. And there's an important distinction here, because at the start, when you're building your business, there's so many ways to spend money, Simon. There's so many ways. It's very easy to spend money and I'm smugly sitting here in my five pound t-shirt, Alan. Yeah, it, look, it's so easy to fall into that trap of spending cash in the early days. And I've seen it today, actually. I did a post today and I was chatting to someone on Facebook about the money that they're spending on branding and they haven't made a sale yet. And I'm kind of going, <sighs> I know why you're doing this. You're spending money so that your logo looks perfect. And mm -hmm. that's not about being professional in your business. It's about thinking that you need to be professional because you're scared. And that's the bit. And I think I've fallen into that trap before. And I still have to keep reminding myself because in those moments of weakness, you go, oh, I can't really put this in front of anyone yet because it's not finished, is it? And actually, the reverse is true. We need to get on with it and stick it in front of people, don't we? If you'll excuse the expression, Alan. Well, that's the whole purpose of this is that's marketing is you take your idea, you take what you want to sell and you go and put it in front of people and you ask them if they'll buy. That's marketing, that's sales, that's the whole game. And before we get into the 10 ways, I do have an episode coming up for you after this one called Marketing Mini Experiments. And that's where the podcast manager, his name's Patrick, he and I hired four different people online and gave them each an episode of the podcast. And on average, we spent like 40 or $50 with each person and said, promote this episode. And we're going to be showing you the results of hiring someone else to do it versus we spent an hour and a half on it ourselves. And I think that is, it's a fascinating experiment. So we've got that coming up and actually I'm planning more marketing exp mini experiments. We should do more of this, Simon. So I've got a lot of ideas, but let's like, People want to know, how do I market my business without spending money? And I actually think it's, it's a bit of an art. It's a bit of an art. So let's start with number one and let's go through these. Simon, what is the first way to market your business with no cash? Well, for me, the, the process of marketing is about getting someone to know you and like you and trust you. And that's a fairly kind of tried and tested foundational principle of marketing. If I'm going to spend money with you, I need to know something about what I'm spending money with. And I need to trust that you're going to deliver the thing that I'm paying for, right? So that's the starting point. So the first question I ask myself is, well, who do I already know? Who is there a reasonable chance might like me or at least a bit? And who would trust me enough <laughs> to be able to spend money with me? And I see lots of people hesitate to go to their friends and family. But if I was launching a business this evening, that would be my number one marketing method for two reasons. Number one, because it's free. Number two, because it's free. Uh, and, <laughs> and number three, I know I said there was only two, but the number three is 
that these people have already passed the no like and trust test. So like if I'm going to go and start promoting my business to complete strangers, I have to go through all of those no like and trust steps, which means they're going to need to see me multiple times. They're going to need to see the product or service or my marketing five, 10, 15, 20 times before they'll trust me enough, especially as a new business, before they'll trust me enough to make a sale. What's the point of doing that when I've not taken every opportunity to connect with my friends and family first? And most people, I would say that I have not met a single person who has gone through their list of friends, family, Facebook friends, you know, other people that they're connected to, you know, friends of friends. You've got a network of hundreds of people at your disposal, either first or second degree separation. Let's start there because you've got direct trust or you've got vicarious trust through someone else. That's the place to begin for me. So I'm one of those people, Simon, that is hesitant to do this. I don't want to burden my friends and family with me launching a business. I don't want to, like, I feel weird doing that. Like, convince me. Why do I start there? Like, if I'm reticent, and I am, how would you get me to start there? Well, it depends if you want to make money or not, Alan. Is this a hobby? (laughs) Or are you actually serious about making money? If you don't need to make any money, then don't contact your friends and family. That's fine. But if you think, actually, I do need this thing to make a little bit of money. It's like low hanging fruit. There's the metaphor here. Like, why would we spend the next, you know, week climbing to the top of the highest tree to get the most difficult fruit at the top when there's some lovely juicy fruit dangling from the lowest branches that we can just go and grab those instead. (laughs) But like, here's the thing for me. There's a bunch of people that already know you like you and trust you. For most of us, a small number of customers could become a life-changing number. And I think that's where I see lots of people get stuck when they're marketing because they kind of go, well, I've got to put my message out there and I've got to reach lots and lots of people. But actually, if we said, look, if you signed up eight customers in the next three weeks, could that be a life-changing number? And obviously, it depends a little bit on the price point because if you're selling something for £2 each, then eight customers isn't going to be enough to change your life. But if your product price point is 50 pounds or dollars, you know, $100 or whatever, then suddenly you go, actually, if I earn $800 next month, that would be a life-changing number. It's bye-bye to the job that I've had to have to do to make ends meet. I don't need to do that anymore. And then I can lean into my business. So here's the thing. I bet, Alan, as one of the skeptics of this marketing tactic, you cad you, I bet there is someone in your friends and family network who would also meet the criteria of a target audience for you, right? So like, if we're going down that niche marketing route for a minute, we don't need to try and sell to everybody. What if we did a little Venn diagram and we put all of your friends and family in one and all of your target audience in the other? I bet there's an overlap. In which case, and here's the bit where people get stuck. They go, I feel a bit icky to selling to my friends and family and I'm not quite sure what to say, and should I even take money off them? Well, are you a charity? Yes or no? If you're a charity, fine, give it away for free. If you don't want to make money, give it away. But here's the thing that I would do. I would go to my friends and family, and I would say this, whether it's via email or text, or I call them WhatsApp, whatever it is, I'd go something like, I've launched my business. I would really love an opportunity to share my pitch with you. Please, can you help me? And then that sets you up really nicely to pitch to them on the phone or over messenger or whatever. And then the worst case scenario is they go, nah, (laughs) or it wasn't a very good pitch. What if you said this or what if you did that? (laughs) You get some advice. Yeah. And if you're lucky enough, no, not lucky, is it? It's not about luck. It's about if you put your product or service in front of someone and they like the sound of it, you then say this to them. And this helps people get over the whole charging issue. Well, the price is normally $50, $75, $10 or whatever it is, but I'm doing an introductory discount for my close friends and family. So I would like to charge you this price if you pay it in advance. So then what you're doing is you're throwing them a bone and getting a little discount and making them feel loved as friends and family. But secondly, you're getting paid up front, which I know you like, Alan. Would you like to get paid up front? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm a big fan. And I would just add two things for the people listening to this and also for me is actually if you're 
selling something, if you have a product or service, it adds value to other people's worlds. Like it should do. If you're selling food, like they will like it. If you're selling art, you're brightening their home. If you're, whatever you're doing adds value to people's worlds. So you should definitely ask for the cash. And I think the slight one that I would build on, which I found more comfortable is for the close friends and family. I do my pitch and then I ask them for referrals rather than a direct sell to them. I would personally say, who do you know that I should speak to? Who can you put me in touch with that you think would need X or has X problem or Y problem? Because I think sometimes for me, I know exactly what you're saying, Simon. I still struggle with a couple of my, like, for people who are slightly further out on my circle of friends, I'm fine with doing that. The closer ones, I struggle a bit more. But those are the ones who actually know me and trust me the most. And I'd be looking for the referrals. Can you please recommend me to... Can you tell me who I should speak to? Because I think this is a brilliant way to start. And maybe, like, if you're really brave, do both. Ask them to buy and then ask them, who else do they know? The thing for me is that, and I've been through exactly that thought process where I go, it's really uncomfortable to pitch this thing to someone that I know, someone that I'm friends with. I've definitely been through that process. I think what I've learned recently is the fear is irrational. It's completely irrational. The biggest risk is my ego. And my ego isn't as fragile as it perhaps once was now. So I'm kind of going, if I pitch this idea and ask for a sale, is that going to risk my friendship? But if they're a good friend, they're not going to ditch you just because you ask for a sale. And if they do get offended, like maybe you should reconsider your friendship. <laughs> yes. I think they need to be fired as friends because that would be a bit odd, wouldn't it? I mean, there's many, many reasons to ditch me as a friend, but that wouldn't be one of them. <laughs> Uh, so we've got friends and family we've got ask for the sale or ask for referrals but these are the people who know like and trust you use your network use your network and speak to people so that's number one which actually brings us neatly on to number two simon the network yeah like this is i suppose is the step out from friends or family it's the if we use the target analogy, you've got your friends and family in the middle. The next ring on the target out would be your current co-workers, your former co-workers, people that you know from your past, you know that your, your paths have just gone in different directions. Maybe you went to school or college with people, you know, you connected with them on Facebook, not for any other particular reason than to stalk each other and find out what you were doing now, 20 years on. You know, there's a whole bunch of reasons why you connect with people. We've got these brilliant social media platforms, but even if you haven't, it's very quick to find them. So I'd be thinking about that. I'd be thinking, who is it that I used to work with? They passed the no like, and trust tests and pitching to them. And once again, the overlap in the Venn diagram of those coworkers and people from your past who may also fit the profile of who you've decided is your target audience that would be the second thing. So like if I was launching a business this evening, I'd go straight to LinkedIn and I'd look at the list of people on LinkedIn and I'd start sending them messages. I love that. And the key here is direct messages, using their name and speaking to them as a friend, individual messages, because as soon as you start to mass market, that's when you stop getting the connection. At the start, you're just looking to connect with people and talk to them. So make sure it is is direct. And if you want a, an example of this, the coaching series. So season two of the coaching series is with a lady called Jamie, Miss Jamie Dillon. She's an artist. You'll hear the season. You should definitely listen to it. It's what a journey that is. Her first product that she designs, she starts to sell by those individual messages and the resistance Jamie has to sending those messages is the resistance I think we all feel. Listen to the coaching series, feel the resistance, and then lean in for the results that happen afterwards. It's a fascinating journey. So that's number two. Let's move on to number three quickly, because I think this is a fascinating one, Simon. Partnering up. And the general concept here is someone has the customers you want to reach. Someone already has them, and they're not necessarily competing with you. And I think this is a really interesting point. If you can find someone who sells something similar to you and partner with them, 
you can reach customers you would never find on your own. What are your thoughts on partnering, Simon? To me, this is the the third one that I would try this evening. First step, friends and family. Second, co-workers and people from my past. Thirdly, because I know how much effort it takes to market to strangers, and I know that you know, you're going to have to see my messages many, many times, especially online. You know, it's at least double that you're going to need to see regular Facebook posts. You're probably going to visit my website a few times. You might see over the period of a few weeks, me posting on whatever platform you might be connected to me on, you're still not going to buy anything for some time. It takes lots of that stuff because it's a brand new thing and I've only just started. I'm only starting it this evening. What partnering up can do is that it gives you vicarious trust. You can borrow the trust that someone else has already been working for months and years to gather and they've built an audience and ideally that audience would be the same audience that you're trying to reach or at least a large cross-section because then you only need to have one conversation and it's with the owner of that list. And that conversation is all about figuring out, you know, the what's in it for me conversation. Is it a profit share? Is it someone that you already know? They're in your network, so they don't want any money. They're doing you a favor. Or is there some other value add that you can give to the owner of that list to incentivize, encourage, and love them enough that they share a message about your business with their customers? Because then you can be sat at home, Alan, and I know you do this regularly, with your slippers and dressing gown and cravat, uh, that, that sort of necktie that you like to lounge around in in the evenings, and your marketing is t- your marketing is taking care of itself. And I love that. That's what I love about partnering is actually, you know, someone else is doing the hard work. You know, you've had the conversation, you set it up, and off it goes. And I always remember this guy. He was a disabled guy from the south coast of England he partnered up with a charity because he designed a product which was a a kind of um, non-spill mug for people that were unsteady on their feet. And he he designed and made this mug and he wanted to sell it, but he didn't have an audience and that wasn't his expertise. He was an inventor. He was a creative. He he wasn't so excited about doing the marketing. And uh, he found a charity. The charity's got 25,000 people on their mailing list. And he said, if you promote my product... I'll give you 50% of the profit. And it happened to be a charity that was close to his heart. So instantly, his product is going to go out to 25,000 people with an open rate of 15%. And you're way better off having 50% of the profit going out to all those people than 100% of the profit attacking one person at a time. Like, that's far better for you. And I think it's really interesting, this partner thing. I get quite a few approaches for the podcast people reaching out and saying, if you have me on, we'll do a profit share with you at the back end. I haven't done it yet because I don't always trust all of the people who reach out saying I want to sell to your list and I've not experienced their products, but people do it to me. I think one of the best examples I saw, Simon, was at one of the pop-up business schools. And by chance, we had a wedding photographer, a wedding cake maker, and I think there was a wedding car business they all had different products for the same customer base. And we said to them, why don't you partner up? Every time one of you gets a lead, ask them if they're interested in the other two and vice versa and vice versa. And then they've tripled their marketing power without spending any money. They've got three people out there marketing for all of the businesses. And I think it's an incredible opportunity. So the question for you listening this is who has your audience that you don't directly compete with? Who has the market you want to reach that you don't directly compete with? And I would love you to pause the podcast now and write a list of 10 people that you think have the target market you want to reach. And let me give you a bit of help with this as well. I think there's some great examples of this locally. Sorry, you did your face change? Your no, face I did. Changed. I just told them to pause, Simon. Like, oh, yeah. And now you're talking to them again. <laughs> like, I told you to leave. Pause this now. Why yeah, but they're not going to pause it. They're not going to pause it. I never pause it. I want to listen to the next bit. 
What do you do? like if you don't do the homework? How do you expect to get the results? <laughs> it's like reading a book and then not doing anything. Oh, I've read the book. I'm far more intelligent now. Yes, but Nothing what I'm about to say is thrilling. But the homework becomes easy. You see, if if you haven't pressed pause and you just listen to the next few seconds, like wait a minute, what's that? Simon's got some more information. Wait a minute. This is the killer. This is going to make it so much easier for me. Thanks so much, Simon. I'm so glad I didn't press pause. People don't need more information. They need to take more action, Simon. They need to do things. Stop learning. Start implementing. Stop reading. Start doing. Stop thinking. Take action. Sharpen the sword before we chop the trees down. Mm, it's a combination, isn't it? <laughs> it it is. is a combination. That's why we started the business together. And it depends on the person <laughs> you're talking to. Um, yeah. Simon will be sharpening the saw for the next 27 years. I will be chopping the tree with a blunt saw and then reading the book at the same time. It's an interest. I'm mixing metaphors, but you know what I mean. It's an interesting concept. But yes, okay. So Simon, hit us with the extra bit. The thing I really want to say to the audience is please take action on this. Nothing happens unless you take action. So Simon and I love doing this podcast for you. We love helping you. But really, we're doing it because we actually want your life to improve. We don't just want you to listen to us randomly have a chat on a Sunday. We want you to go and take action. Simon, help them take action. No, I don't want to now. (laughs) (laughs) If if we were together, I would throw something at you at this point. We have been seen to be uh, wrestling in the hotel lobby of uh, some sort of uh, dodgy hotel on the outskirts of Nottingham, I seem to remember. Anyway, two things that went through my head. The first is you still need trust, especially if you're reaching out to somebody new. So, And that's, that's why you've not followed through on the approaches to you, because they haven't done the work to build trust first. You've got to turn up and add value first. Like You don't know who these people are, but if they'd spent the last three months liking commenting sharing and emailing you saying i really love that podcast episode that was brilliant you know it's that a few pieces of value add first and then you go in with the ask because it's more likely to be receptive and that was my first point you want to come in on that which i actually think is completely true because the only approach that i'm considering is from a guy called eric finnegan Uh, You would have heard him. He came on the first coaching season with Christina and helped Christina with her marketing strategy. He came on the podcast and did an entire episode on cold email marketing. And we've made friends. And I'm considering his offer and what he does because we've built trust and he does a good job. Case in point. So the second thing that went through my head here is, so I I live in Leicester in the, the Midlands in the UK. And I see all of these small, local, new, exciting, brilliant businesses. They're doing great stuff, but they're all, they're all working so hard for the same audience independently, you know, and I want to see, I want to see the yoga business selling coffee from the Leicester coffee house. I want to see the coffee business selling the t-shirts from the t-shirt printing business up the road. And I think local businesses that are, like you say, non-competing. And that, obviously that's the key bit here. By the way, it's still completely possible to team up with people that are doing the same thing as you, but it might be more receptive. Uh, perhaps for your first run out, go find someone who's got a local audience. Who are the businesses that seem to be killing it locally for you? And that's where the clues are. The, these businesses have each got their own customer base and all of you can make more profit by working more closely together. I absolutely love that. So there's partnering up. Let's move on to number four, which is the search box. The search box, Simon. Do you mean that thing at the top of Google? Do you mean that thing at the top of Twitter? Do you mean that thing that they give you on Facebook? What do you mean by the search box? I mean the box where you can search on any social media platform specifically. That's the bit I'm after because that's the thing that's for me, it's the most powerful part of social media. And I always ask that question at our events. Well, you know, what's the most powerful part of that page that you're looking at now? And they go, is it your bio? No. Is it your pictures? No. You know, is it your posts? No. Oh, and they go, ah, I know what it is. What is it? Is your content? No. For me, the most powerful part is the search box because with the search box, I can type in what terms I think that my target audience are going to be posting about or having in their bio. It enables me to find my target audience in seconds. 
And I just think people don't use that enough. And that, you know, we sort of go through this process of I've launched my business and now they will come to me and visit my pay. They don't. You know what it's like in the early days. You know, we, we got some great examples. In fact, one of your best ever examples is when you found someone who was a target customer of ours in the early days, you know, 2013, 2014, when you found someone that was a potential customer that was likely to sponsor a business school and you found her from the search box. And if you hadn't have used that, then the business would be £40,000 lighter that year. Yeah, it did like that changed everything. And I think people do make this too complex. I'd worked out we were selling to housing authorities, housing associations. At the top of Twitter, I typed in director of housing. And guess what popped up? A bunch of directors of housing associations, housing authorities. So I started messaging them and I would read their bio, see what they said, send them like a, not like a, I never said, will you buy my stuff? Never. I always connected on what they did. And this particular one said, director of housing authority quite likes a good coffee, something like that. And I think I sent her a message said, I love coffee too, with a picture of me with a coffee mug. And when you get a strange picture like that, what's your first thought, Simon? Um, Well, I I suppose it's one of two things. You're either going to call the cops or you're going to say to yourself, who the hell is that bloke with a coffee mug who's sending me messages? I don't know who he is. That's probably what you're going to say. And then she clicked on my bio to have a look and see who is this person. And she sees we work with housing associations, helping their residents build businesses without debt and goes, oh, that's interesting. And then she messages me back and we have a chat. And that turned into a phone call the next day saying, I'm interested to know more. And we had a great chat on the phone. We really connected. I think that's the next bit is really connecting. But we really connected. She, at the end of the call, said, this sounds really interesting. I will set up a meeting for you with the directors of the Housing Association if you provide the coffee. (laughs) Like, of course, I'm there. Would you like Costa Rican or Colombian? I'm there. I went up, we met, I pitched, we had a fabulous chat. And you're right, it ended up in a great client. I loved working with them. They loved working with me. But it all came from searching for who I wanted to speak to from the search bar. And I, I feel like we could do an entire episode just on how to search for your customers. But I think Two very quick ways, and I'm sure Simon will elaborate on this slightly. The first is, do they have a title? Do they have a job role? Do they have something that you can identify them that way? Go to LinkedIn, go to Twitter, go to Facebook, type in their job role, and you will find a list of them. The second is, what problem you're fixing? What's the problem you're fixing? And search for people with that problem. That's it. And I think stop making it complex and start searching. And James, who works for us, do you remember what he did? He was a social media manager, Simon. And all he did was search for need a social media manager. That's all he searched for. And that someone out there is typed in, we need or I need a social media manager. And then he would reply to their posts. He won seven clients in the first month through that approach. Like, let's stop making it complex. Let's start searching for people who need what we do. Just go to the search bar, type some stuff in, see what turns up, and then message them. (laughs) And you might not get a reply. And in fact, if you don't, that's okay. That's real. Celebrate. Yeah. The the thing that um, when I tell people that story, Alan, of going, we got a £40,000 contract for a tweet about coffee, the bit that I always point out is Alan didn't just send one tweet that day. Because I, I know how, hundreds. yeah, I know I know what you'd be doing. You'd have been, you know, sat in the corner of a well-known coffee shop, furiously typing, and you were probably typing on your computer with one hand, you know, laptop on one hand and phone on the other. But that was the one that dropped, and it amazes me when people go, when they push back on that, they go, "Oh, you were really lucky to get that." And I, I love it when someone says that, and you're in the room. Because it always, you can sit like your whole body bristles and you go, luck? No, I spent four hours a day using the search box to find my clients in the old days. And, and that's what it takes. But it's like you say, it's a lot simpler. 
your customers have got job titles, like Alan said, or they've got problems that need solving, or they're, they're telling you what they love, what they're into in their posts and in their bios. Like we've had lots of dog related businesses have been through our courses mm. lately, you know, dog walkers and, you know, dog food businesses, people that make accessories for animals you know, neck scarves for dogs and fancy leads. We had someone that designed a lead, John John in Westminster. You know, some really, mm. really cool businesses. So how do you use the search box to find them? Well, people put in their bio, dog lover, Labrador owner, Alsatian nut. You know, they put the breeds of dogs or they've got lots of different terms. And actually one search, one search throws up thousands of potential customers you've just got to experiment with figuring out what are my customers putting in their bio what are they posting about because if i know that then i can find them i love that and you can even then specify by geography and say dog lover westminster london dog lover hampshire dog lover wherever find the people local to you it's just the most powerful part of any platform so I feel like saying again, stop listening, start searching, pull your phone out of your pocket now and type something into the search and see what happens. Obviously, I'd love you to listen to the whole episode because we're going to keep giving you more, but start searching. So that's number four, the search box. Simon, number five, number five, the good old, the trusty email. Yeah. Should we start emailing people again? Things seem to happen when you send emails, Alan. They do. They really happen. And what's your approach to the email now? You know, like, because I, I think I've been guilty of overthinking the email. But when, when you're sending an email to someone, let's say it's to someone that you've never done any business with before, it's a cold email. Maybe you've heated them up a little bit by following them on a social media platform, but let's assume it's mainly a cold email. But how do you approach that now? What, what goes through your mind? Because I know you've done one or two of these over the years. So for me, it's about simplicity. It's about, number one, you must use their first name. You must directly message them, dear Dave, dear John, dear Jane, dear Jessica, whatever it is at the top, you must have their name. Number two, I keep it as simple as possible. I've got an idea. I've got a thought. Here's what I'm thinking about. I think it'll help you. And then I sort of list a benefit. So here's how it'll actually help you. I'd love to connect to have your thoughts. Do you have 15 minutes to have a chat? And then that's it. Like as simple, as easy as possible for people just to reply yes. And then I'll set up a time and I'll get them on the phone. But the email's the way for opening the door, for getting things started, for reaching out. And if you go back to partnering up, like this is the very simple, I've got an idea. I think it'll help you grow your business and me grow my business. Would you be open to having a 15 minute chat and connecting? Like, that's a hard pitch to say no to. <laughs> no, I don't really want to talk to you about growing my business or making any money, Alan. And I just keep it as simple as possible. I'm in the same industry. I've got this idea. I've got this thought. Simple, quick, easy, targeted. Preferably, you know something about the person from LinkedIn, from Twitter, from Facebook, and you can put something in there that shows them you know who they are. But that's it. Simple, as quick and easy as possible. And we've got two episodes on this specifically for you. On the coaching series with Christina, we spent a long time talking about how to reach out and get new clients. And you can go through the journey there. And then there is an entire episode with Eric Finnegan talking exactly how to reach out by cold email and start your business. So we have a huge amount of resources on this exact topic. Simon, do you have any tips for people on the cold email? Yeah, I have a few tips. One is relentlessly follow up and don't leave it too long. If you don't hear back, you know, leave it maximum, an absolute maximum of five days. I mean, I'm in a sort of a two or three day follow up kind of mode these days. You know, if you don't hear back, can I say, look, I'm sure you're really busy. I wondered if you had the chance to look at this yet. We'd still really love to connect with you. Have you got any time week after next? You know, there's lots of different types of follow-up because I get loads of those emails regularly and I don't read them. No. Like, I might scan them, but I tend to ignore them unless I see the same name come up at least five times, in which case I take notice of it. They've got my attention now. 
And we hesitate when we're first starting because we don't want to be annoying. We don't want to annoy our customers before we've even sold to them. But actually, it's a trick of the mind. It's because we're scared. It's because we're fearful. We're scared of rejection. We're scared of upsetting someone. We're scared of being judged. We need to do the opposite. You're only going to get that email answered if you follow up. Relentlessly. So there's email. We will leave that one there because we're already 35, 40 minutes into this podcast episode, Simon, and we're already at number five. Like Time is flying. If you were trying to get business-to-business work. And what I mean by that is if you sell to other business owners, if you're trying to create connections with other businesses, what is the number one marketing tool? It's the telling bone, Alan. We have to pick up the phone, don't we? That's the fact. Like you're really, really good at this, but I don't think you were when you first started. I think you made yourself do it. I can remember conversations with you about making phone calls and you, and you saying, look, I found that really, really hard. You know, what was your experience in the early days of making sales calls when you were selling training to companies? I hated it. I hated it. I had a mentor that said the only way to win business was by the phone. And he said, I'll help you come to my office, sit in my office, make your phone calls, and we'll chat about it. So I went to his office. I made nearly 100 calls in the morning. I found one guy who said, we're broadly interested. And... I obviously didn't say the right things to him because I was like, okay, cool. I'll call you back in a month when you might know more. And the mentor said, oh, you shouldn't have done that. There was a lead. You should have pressed in, organized the meeting, done this. And I remember just feeling destroyed. And I walked out of there thinking the only way to get business was on the phone. And I sat on the wall outside his office, burst into tears because I didn't think I could ever do it. I'd spent all morning bashing my head against the phone and it destroyed me. I I fell to pieces, Simon, and that took a lot of time to overcome the fear of making phone calls. And I was definitely too polite. I was definitely too British. I was afraid of asking direct questions because of what the answer was. Like it was painful. Cold calling people, whilst powerful, in the early days, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. I was exactly the same, exactly the same. One of my first little business projects was selling advertising. Uh, Someone asked me, they said, oh, do you know anyone that does publishing? And there's a £5,000 deal that's up for grabs. And I said, yes, it's funny you should say that. Me, I'm a publisher as of about 15 seconds ago. And it seemed to be money for old rope. Like you'd get £5,000 to print this publication and... All you'd have to do is to sell advertising space and you keep all of the profit. So all of your print costs are covered. I'm like, well, for 5,000, this is a no brainer. It doesn't cost me any money except a few phone calls and a bit of time. So I'll start selling advertising. And I made one phone call and I I followed my own medicine here. I took my own medicine. I, I rang someone that I already knew. He was the first person that I rang and it was the owner of an independent sports shop in the town where I was born. I thought I'll start with him because that's got to be the easiest call. And he he cut me off halfway through a sentence. And he said, look, I'm going to stop you there. If you're trying to sell me advertising space, I'm not interested. I haven't got any money for that. Thanks for calling. And he just put the phone down. Like this was supposed to be my friend. Like, And, and he put the phone down on me halfway through the thing. And I thought, uh-oh, this isn't going to be as easy as I thought it was going to be. And actually I didn't, I was a bit like you, I was a bit destroyed by that. And it took me two weeks to bounce back. But like, I bet you, you'd look at phone calls differently now because I do too. Let's help people like rather than go, oh my God, Alan and Simon were destroyed by making phone calls. I won't do that then. Let's give people some thoughts like what's in your head now? What advice would you give to Alan in his twenties that was about to make sales phone calls in that guy's office? How would you coach yourself through that? That's a great question. My first thought is be very specific about who you're reaching out to. So you have a very clear target market. My second thought is ask them at the start of the phone call, if they have the problem that your service or product fixes. It's not about selling to everyone. And I think that was my thing was I could sell to everyone at the time and I wasn't specific. I would ring them up and say, okay, so let's say I was selling presentation skills workshops, which I was at the time. I'd ring them up and say, okay, so this is what I do. Do your teams deliver presentations? 
do you sell via pitching to clients? Is that the kind of thing you do? And I'd ask them and they go, well, how is that going for you? And I would ask a series of questions to know, do they even have the problem I'm trying to fix? And I would be saying to myself all the way back then, most people won't have the problem you're trying to fix and that's okay. Say thank you for the time. Thank you for listening to my questions. What I've got probably isn't for you. And then move on to the next one. Because this is not about selling to everyone. It's about finding the people who actually need what you've got. And I think if you do that, it'll be a whole different experience. And the final bit I'd layer on is have a bit more fun. I was very serious when I was younger because I was just, I was desperate trying to make my way in business. Like have a bit more fun, laugh, ask them about their life. What are they up to? How's it going? Just have a bit more fun. More fun you have, the more fun they'll have. So those would be my advice to younger me. What about you, Simon? What would you train younger Simon to approach this? I would agree with everything you said. The fun and banter definitely gives me energy when I'm on those calls and it makes me have an emotion of, I can't wait for the next one rather than, Mm. oh God, I've got to do another call. So, you know, how much fun can you take when you're making these sales calls, you know, and, and that cheeky fun as you build a relationship with someone very quickly is important. I think there's, there's definitely a bit about chemistry and I find it easier to stand up. I've had more energy when I'm making phone calls stood up. So I would do that. I think what I'd also add, and this is actually something that you pointed me in the direction of, it was a James Clear email about paper clips. Mm. Do you remember sending me that? That was, yes, that was a do. revelation. That was an absolute revelation for me. And you've probably seen the picture. It, it wasn't paper clips that I used because I found paper clips a bit boring. I used uh, these little toys that my kids used to collect called Moshi Monsters. There's these little plastic figures. And every time I made a phone call, I popped one of those in an Irish coffee glass. And then every time I made a, a, a sent a sales email, I put another one in a different coffee glass so I could actually track my progress. I was, and I think the important bit here is that I was measuring the activity because up until that moment, I was measuring the results and I didn't have any. <laughs> you know, I hadn't made any sales. <laughs> and I think the fascinating bit for me then is that we were staring down the barrel of a six month runway gun. You know, we had six months. And our sales cycle is six months long. So we basically had about two weeks to make sales because then the net effect of that is that in five and a half months time, I was going back to get a proper job. And even with the threat of having to work for someone else again, that still wasn't enough motivation for me. There was still some kind of paralysis or blocker until that moment, until that day when we started to measure the progress by you know, I could sort of visually see the coffee glass rising. And when the coffee glass gets to the top, I get a treat. It's a reward. And because I used Irish coffee glasses, Alan, you know what the reward was? <laughs> so the bit I'd say to everyone here, number one, James Clear's work is incredible. Join his mailing list, read his book, Atomic Habits. He is fantastic. And I think that bit of measuring the activity, your success, building a successful business is about the boring daily habits that you do. Make five sales calls every day. Send five sales emails every single day. Type into the search box every single day and find 10 new people to speak to. Do the daily activity. Extraordinary is built out of those daily concrete actions that you do. And that is what Simon and I needed to do. And I think For those of you thinking, I'm just starting my business now, I've got six months runway, that six months will go in seconds. I speak to so many entrepreneurs who tell me I've saved six months to help myself get going or even a year. That will go in seconds. If you do not start selling on day one, you will come to an emergency point where you have to go back and get a job because it won't work. Stop avoiding sales and start doing this stuff. I cannot say that strong enough. So let's move on to number seven. Number seven is getting people to share it, Simon. Getting people to share it. What do you mean by that? Well, I think this is a really nice kind of diversion. Once you've done your pitching to friends and family and coworkers and people from your past, 
if they're not going to buy something from you, the question I would ask them is, please, can you share it on your social media? Please, can you share it with your colleagues? Please, can you share it with your friends and family and help me get started? Because what I've learned that with various business projects over the years is that your tactic of passive aggression to get people to do stuff to help you doesn't work. Like, you know, so I stick a post on Facebook and wait for people to interact with it and share it. And then I stare at my phone and go, my own friends and family didn't even like this post. (laughs) You know, if they were doing something, I'd share it on my social media. I'd help them do their thing. Why aren't people helping me? So I used to sort of try silent rage as an approach to get people to do stuff and it doesn't work. You know, that whole rule of marketing about people are lazy and people are busy. And it's not that they, they don't want to support you. They've just got so much other stuff going on. And if you want someone to share it, you've got to ask them. Those three letters are life-changing, aren't they? You've got to ask. And the more asking you do, the more likely you are that someone's going to share your message in whatever format that looks like, whether someone can send an email on your behalf or do a social media post or you know, and there's lots of different ways of doing that. But like you were saying earlier, the direct ask one-to-one, send them a message, use their name, ring them up, ask them for help. It makes it very, very difficult to say no. And if you want some working examples of this, please tune into the Rebel Coaching Series with Jamie. Like listen to that for live marketing examples of how to do this. So that's number seven, get people to share it. Number eight, do a pop-up. That was the name of our business until we changed, Simon. Do a pop-up. What does that mean? Do I just like go on the street corner and go, ta-da? What do I, how do I do a pop-up? I mean, why not? I mean, I'd pay to see that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing about the, the pop-up is, uh, I guess it's two things. One is, is that it physically puts you in front of actual humans, right? And it means that it's much harder to ignore you or delete you. You know, if I send you an email, I could ignore it. I could delete it. If I see a social media post, I could ignore it. I could delete it. Whereas if you're physically in front of me, then as a business owner, that gives you an opportunity to ask questions, to have fun with people, to create a mailing list, to give people a live experience of the product or service that you're selling. So, you know, whether you're an artist, like I don't understand why, so many artists never leave their studio. I mean, I get it because it's an inspiring place to be, but go do your painting in a cafe or in a the foyer of an office building or, you know, do a deal with someone that's got a space where there's people because, you know, you're potentially putting yourself in tens, if not hundreds, in front of hundreds of people who would never normally hear about you. They're out of your network. So that's the first bit to it is that it's harder to ignore someone who's physically there. The second part of it is it's the juxtaposition of something that's not normally in that space that suddenly is. And you're passing the first test of marketing. You're getting people's attention. And that's what the pop-up is all about, really. It's about getting people's attention, people that wouldn't normally get to see you. But like, if you would like Alan to test the pop-up and go out onto a street corner and say, ta-da, then please message the show and send Alan an email (laughs) and uh, we will make that happen. And if you're lucky, maybe I'll pop up in your town at your house and say hello. Let's do that. Let's send Alan somewhere random. The more random you are uh, situated, the better. (laughs) So do you have any examples of this, Simon, of someone who's done a pop-up? Yeah, there's like there's loads and there's great examples of people that do really, really well with a pop-up and there's great examples of where it bombs. And here's an example of when it does when it's done really well. I think you know this story is that a guy that was a carpenter that was making dolls houses and selling these dolls houses for hundreds of pounds. So they were expensive things. They took him ages to do, you know, very, very skilled craftsmanship to create these things. And he figured out that the people that are going to buy this doll's house, they live in certain parts of London. They live in the affluent areas, the fancy zip codes. And he he was trying to say, well, where do the people that might want to buy a high-end doll's house, where do they hang out? Where do they go? And he, he went, well, there's some really fancy cafes in this part of town. The independent cafes are the kind of places that it costs $10 for a slice of cake. You know, he went... 
I'm going to take my doll's house into one of those cafes. So that's what he did. He made friends with a, a cafe owner. He set his doll's house up in the corner and he started to paint it, you know, just putting the finishing touches and people would walk in his target audience that were affluent parents of young kids would walk in the cafe after the school run to hang out with their friends and they'd walk in the cafe and they'd see the doll's house and they go, oh, wow, that's incredible. And then he would say, I'm so glad that you like it. This one is actually going to be entered in, in a competition. And if you leave me your name and contact details and join my mailing list, you might be able to win this one. And people were handing over their contact details left, right and center. And I thought that was really smart because then, you know, when you're buying a product like that, it might be that it's going to be weeks and months until you're ready to buy it because it might be a birthday gift. It might be a Christmas gift. You know, it might be a some gift for a, a future member of the family that hasn't been born yet. You know, but when you make that decision, I want a doll's house, where are you going to go to get one? Well, you're going to go online. You're going to search online for doll's houses if you've even had that thought. What this guy is doing, he's sending you an email every six to eight weeks, a kind of, hey, remember me, you met me in the cafe kind of email because he makes mud kitchens, he makes other things out of wood, he does woodworking workshops in the community. There's a whole bunch of really cool stuff that he keeps sending customers and he's just going, hey, remember me? Hey, remember me? Hey, remember me? Knowing that a percentage of them will open his emails and a small percentage of them would go, one day they'll go, it's time to buy the doll's house. And who are they going to think of? They're not going to bother searching online. They know exactly who to go to. So he's done that job. I think that was a really good example. I love that. So there is a fantastic example of a pop-up. And the key highlight I'd like you to take from that is go and pop up where your potential customers are. Like popping up on the street corner is great because there'll be a bunch of random people, but most of them won't be interested in what you do. Pop up where you know your customers are which actually brings us back to the whole point of identify your target market before you do any of this stuff, know who you're going to sell to. So that's number eight. We'll move on quickly to number nine, which is do a free taster. Let me give you two examples of this. Number one, my wife and I, Katie, were walking through Basingstoke Town Centre when we lived there. And there was a guy dressed in chef whites with a silver platter with pizza slices on it. And he looked at me and an Italian accent said, would you like to try some of my pizza? For those of you who know me, that's not an offer I'm going to turn down. Like I'm going to accept that and say yes. And I tried it. It was incredible. He had one with a bechamel base, one with a tomato base. He told me about it. He was clearly passionate about pizza. And he pointed down the side saying, my restaurant's just down there. I lived in Basingstoke and I'd never seen his restaurant, nor would I ever go in there. It's not my type of place. But his pizza, his pizza was good. So that free sample got us to go in once. We ordered pizzas each. It was delicious. Simon, we went back there every week for nearly two years. We were weekly customers eating his pizza every single Saturday. It was phenomenal. And he got us by allowing us to try it, which builds the like, know, and trust. So I like him. He's smiling. I know him because he's there. I trust him because I've tried the product before I buy. That's the free taster. It's phenomenal. And my second small example is I gave free tasters of my presentation skills workshops to different people. They could get me to do a 15 minute or a half an hour free taster, depending on who it was. And I would give it away confident that I knew they would like it. Sometimes people just need to try it before they buy. And if you've got something you can do that with, it's phenomenal. Let people try it. Let people experience it. Let them do a free taster. See what happens. Do you have any other examples to add to that, Simon, or thoughts of how people can implement it? I think there's loads of examples, Alan. I think like for me, this is the trust accelerator. That's the bit about it, isn't mm. it? It's the, you know, especially as a new business, well, maybe if your product or service isn't immediately obvious what the benefits are, you're not quite sure about it. So there's no way you're going to part with your cash because that's the thing about marketing is that your customers, your potential customers have already decided how they're spending their money and it isn't with you. 
I don't, you know, I don't care <laughs> how good your product or service is. They've already decided where that cash is going. And what the free taster does, it, it goes, oh, well, we'll see about that. Just hang on a minute. Let me show you this. Try that. Taste that. Experience this. And the awesome lady that came to one of our Welsh courses, and I, I know you, you'll remember her because she arrived at the, the event wearing a set of angel wings. And she, oh yes, she, yeah. She came up the stairs. Do you remember the, the? It's got a perspex roof, and the sun was shining through the roof, and it glanced off of her wings, and like it looked like she it was had, like an angel yeah, arrived. I, I thought I was dead when she said, "Oh my god, it's, <laughs> I can see angels, Alan." <laughs> Quick, get my affairs in order. I can see angels, and and when she arrived, I mean, we found out that her business was Angel Reiki healing and she was doing angel cards they're a bit like tarot cards but she was also giving people an experience of of reiki now i'd heard of reiki but i didn't really know what it was i think i'd read somewhere that it made me go oh it's a bit like you're massaging my aura uh, and like is that even possible and do i want to spend 25 pounds on that well like it sounds pretty interesting but i think i'm good thanks i think i'd rather have a an actual massage rather than, than have my aura massage but thanks anyway but what she did brilliantly was that she offered free taster sessions but here's the bit where it went wrong do you remember what she said when she came up to you well she was so disappointed she said i've been offering these free tasters all day long and people say they like it but no one's bought so i kind of looked at her and i just said did you ask she looked confused simon like what do you mean did i ask did you ask them to book a session and she said, well, I asked them if they like it. I said, but that's not the same. That's just not the same. Like, did you enjoy it? Yes. That's not going to lead to me booking the next session. Like, ask them to buy. And she looked a bit crestfallen. But actually, like, she is amazing. She went and took action. She went around the market and she found the people she'd done free tasters for. And she said to them, would you like to book? And I actually didn't find this out until a year later when we came back and ran the next pop-up business school. But that afternoon, she sold five Reiki sessions because she asked. So if there's one thing, like, don't bother doing something for free unless you're going to ask someone to buy afterwards. There is no point doing free tasters unless you ask people to buy. Do not give them the opportunity to go, that was lovely and move on. Like give them a free taster and then say, would you like to buy one? Stare them in the eyes, pause and wait. That is how you get someone to take action after a free taster. So that's number nine. Let's crack on to number 10, because we promised 10 free ways to market your business, Simon. That's what we promised. What's number 10? I've got 110, Alan. Do, should we keep going or should we be able to stop soon, I suppose? Well, we've been an hour. We probably need to give people a break after number 10 <laughs> or at least ask them to do something about it. Okay. Well, look, number 10, when I was thinking about this, when you said about doing this this episode, I thought, well, what are the things... I try to make it real. Like if I was launching a business this evening, what are the things that I do? And every single one of these that we've been through are things that I would do. Number 10 is the one that in the earlier days I would have found the hardest, as you know. Like I <laughs> I used to, um, I wouldn't say I made you do the videos. I would just sort of be compliant when you said like, shall I do a video? And I go, yeah, I think you should do that video, Alan. That'll be a really, really good video to do. Just I wasn't that crazy about doing video. Like now you can't get me off the damn thing. But like in the early days, I'd rather stick hot forks in my eyes than make videos and stick them on social media. I just had a thing that I just didn't like doing it. I love podcasts. You know, if only we were doing podcasts years ago, it wasn't really a thing, was it, in, in those days? But, you know, I love this medium. Like, I'm a little bit uncomfortable about pictures, mainly because the guys in the team take pictures of me asleep and then put them all over social media. Uh, remind me to have that call with the guys on Monday. <laughs> but the thing about, like, since I've known you, I don't know about the early days for you, but since I've known you, a, you've really got into video and you've done video really, really well, seemingly effortlessly, which is very annoying. But secondly, you made me sit next to you on the video, on that very first video we made for the business. I sat on your sofa, which I'm, I swear was lopsided, your cream leather sofa in your flat. 
in Basingstoke. You went, right, sit next to me here. I'll switch the camera on. And I can remember looking at you going, you have literally lost your mind. If you think that I'm going to sit on your lopsided cream leather sofa, looking like we look like the odd couple, you know, we, we look like we were about to start a relationship or had been in a relationship together for some time. I sat next to you looking very uncomfortable. You pressed record, started talking, and then you looked at me and went, isn't that right, Simon? And I froze. I didn't know what to say in that moment. And I think, oh, no, this is horrific. Why did you make me do that video? And what do you remember about that video? What was your thinking behind it? We needed to get people to come to the course. And how do you tell them about the course unless you do a video and tell them what's happening? So let's do a video. Let's put it on social media. Let's tell people. Like, why would we not tell them about our course, our product, our service. Why like why would we not? And this is after a lot of work. Like when I was younger, I was very shy and very nervous. I had to overcome that. But by that stage I was like, we just need to tell people about it. And I think so many people are entrepreneurs without ever telling anyone about what they do. Like I'm an entrepreneur in my spare time, but I won't tell anyone about it. It's a secret. And they do it because they're nervous putting them out there. Like if you're listening to this now Go search Rebel Business School on YouTube and watch the first video on our channel, which is the story of Rebel. And you'll actually be able to see a clip of Simon looking very uncomfortable on my cream leather couch. Not because I was being predatory towards him, but because of doing videos. And actually in the background over the left of his head, you will be able to see my washing up. We didn't even bother tidying up the washing up before we did the video. I was just like, we just need to do this. But here's the thing. 50 people showed up to that first course. We did the video. We put it out there. We were a little bit awkward. You were more awkward than I was, but you gave it your all, Simon. You gave it everything when we got into it. But you just like you just need to talk to people. You need to share what you do. Like If you're an artist, do a video downwards of your hands doing what you do, painting crocheting, doing what you do. If you make food, do a video of you making the food, like show people what you do and talk to them. If you don't promote what you do, if you don't share it, how do you expect people to know about it? How do you expect people to think, oh, that sounds good. I'd like to have a go at it. How do you expect them to trust you if they don't see you? And quite often you see someone's face and you go, oh, they're just a normal person. I could trust them to do it. Like that's how it builds up. Film yourself doing what you do. Film yourself with your product, with your service, talking about it. And that's what it led to. And if you're really geeky and you want to see the original videos that we did, is it 10 years ago now, Simon? You can find them on our YouTube channel. I'm almost a bit hesitant to tell you that because I'm a bit embarrassed about the first ones. But I tell you what, if you don't do version one, you can never get to version two. So put out a version and you will quickly work out how to make it better by removing the washing up in the background, by being a bit smoother with your words. Then you can do version three and then version four. Just start. It's a great metaphor for all marketing, isn't it? Like you can't expect the thing to work exactly how you want it to work first time, but you'll never get to the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth iteration of it until you've done the first one. And and it does remind me, you know, if you're not a little bit embarrassed by your first video, you're not doing it right. <laughs> you're not putting yourself out there hard enough. Exactly. Get it out there. Exactly. And I think, again, like this is a little bit like the pop-up example, the free taster example. This is a trust accelerator because if I can see that you've made a video, like a customer, a potential customer can tell, oh, this is real. This is a real person. They're act you know, and there's this whole kind of transaction of trust that happens when I can see your product, I can see your service, I can see you doing what it is that you do. Maybe I can even see the whites of your eyes whilst you're talking. That means that it's a thing. And it doesn't have to be long. 10, 15 second clips are more than enough to start that process of accelerating trust with your customers. And even better, doing a regular video. And I, a friend of mine uses this for her coaching business to great effect. Regular video, she's establishing herself as an expert in what she does. And she's just kind of going, hey, I'm still here. Hey, I'm still here. Hey, I'm still here. 
hey, I'm still here, knowing that when, when I see your video for the first time, I'm probably not ready to buy anything from you yet. But in six months time, I feel like I've known you for years. You know, video is a great opportunity to build a relationship with your potential customers rather than go straight in for a transactional sale. It's a medium term game. Love that. So that's number 10, use video. And in a moment, Simon and I are going to do a rundown of the top 10 uh, British pop style. And then we're going to ask you to pick three and go and do them. If this makes you nervous, I want you to think everything that you want is outside your comfort zone. Otherwise, you'd already have it. So if this makes you uncomfortable, that's a good thing. That's going to lead to something changing. And the only way we know what was going to change is by doing it. So pick three, get uncomfortable and take action because that is how you build your business. So here are the top 10 ways to market your business for free. Coming in at number 10 is use video. Down at number nine, do a free taster event. At eight is do a pop-up. Number seven, ask people to share it. Number six is make the phone call. Number five, send the email. Number four, the most powerful part of any social media platform is the search box. Number three, who can you partner with? Number two, the co-workers and people from your past. Get in touch with them. And in at number one on 10 ways to market your business for free is friends and family. That was really cheesy. I love it. Make sure you keep that in. That's possibly the most cheesy thing we've ever done on the podcast. (laughs) If you didn't like it, please email Simon. If you did like it, please email me. And we will go from there. The number one thing Simon and I want you to do is actually take action. Like we don't actually care which of these Pick one that scares you slightly, pick one that makes you feel uncomfortable and do it. If you want to build your business, you have to market it. You have to take action. So many of the entrepreneurs we meet, they launch their business and then they don't tell anyone about it. Don't be a silent entrepreneur. Don't be one of those people that just waits for customers to come. Take action, market your business and get out there. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.